Listen. Just listen. I'm Ozzy Totten, and you're listening to a Second Story podcast. Second Story is a hybrid performance series, a collaboration among writers, performers, musicians, and others to create good stories and good times. The stories are written by the performers themselves, sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, always thought-provoking. And now, Second Story storyteller Dov Yendler. My friend Jimmy Gaunt will not survive this story. He won't even survive this paragraph. My friend, this guy, this Jimmy Gaunt, was a six-foot-tall ginger poet Adonis. Built like an Olympic sprinter, Jimmy committed to learning how to do a headstand the way you and I commit to a quarter-pounder with cheese. He could get any girl he wanted by twinkling those six-foot-tall ginger poet Adonis eyes. Best friends with Tony Hawk's nephew since childhood. He kept his bedrooms a mess, and he spoke with his hands and teeth when he had nothing else to say. We met in a movement class called The Actor and the Body at the Queen Mary School in London, and from that point onwards, actively made sure we were in each other's classes for the rest of the year. I was there on my third year abroad, trying to figure out if I wanted to be an actor, and uh, figuring that whole thing out. Jimmy Gaunt, born and dead in San Diego, California, would change my mind. He was there as a fourth year from USC. He said he got tired of all of his friends and the whole scene in LA at large, or maybe he said he needed to test himself out of complacency, or maybe he was there because he was bored. When I met him, I was completely flabbergasted that such a person even exists and somehow this person was talking to me. My first real conversation with Jimmy Gaunt went something like this. We were developing this movement phrase based off of high divers. One of the dudes in the class was this kid, Robin, who used to be a pro diver but got really shit-faced one night and did a backflip off a truck and completely shattered his ankle. He was from this really working-class background and was like built like Wolverine, like he was five foot three inches, and his arms were like, (laughs) Angie, uh, the movement instructor, had him teach us some basic stances and was taking photographs on a digital camera. Now, I already felt pretty ridiculous in the class because I was nowhere near as physically adept as the rest of the students. I had no handstands, no somersaults, no flexibility, no rigidity, no line. I didn't know anyone in the class, in the school, in the country, in the hemisphere. I looked at myself in one of the photographs and was just absolutely mollified at the lonely, squishy guy, nervously trying to look cool in a room full of people who look cool for a living. Jimmy and I had maybe one conversation up to this point. Hey, where are you from? The West Coast. (laughs) More like the best coast, am I right? (laughs) But there was something about his six-foot-tall ginger poet Adonisness that made him, I don't know, the right guy for this, maybe because he was the other American in the class. I walked up to him, thrust the screen in his face, pointed to the part of the photo that showed my chest in profile, and I said, Jimmy, what do you think of that? Without missing a beat, he looked at me, the photo, back at me, the photo, and then he reached out, put his hand against my chest, and said, yeah, you're a little soft up there. (laughs) Now, if this were any other person on God's green earth, I would have turned into a blubbering mass of insecurity right there and then, but this was Jimmy Gaunt, you know? I went back to my room and did (laughs) push-ups. Or I tried to do 
push-ups. My sister's all-girls junior high gym coach would call what I did girl push-ups from the knees. But I did them. I did them, and I did them, and went, and I went running by the creek down to the Thames where the fish markets were just cracking open. I did push-ups and went running up the creek where the dogs chased barges on muddy banks. I did push-ups and went running to Brick Lane where Bangladeshi restaurant owners stood on their stoops and hawked discounts to wandering diners. I pushed up and up and I ran down and down. I went from push-ups on the knees to push-ups off the feet to push-ups with my feet on the bathtub with, to push-ups with my feet on the bathtub and my fingers in a little diamond. My sister's all-girls junior high gym coach called those woman push-ups. All because of Jimmy Gunn. I still do those push-ups, 40 of them a day, all because of Jimmy Gone. My kind of friend at the time, Brett, uh, called me last summer to tell me about what had happened to Jimmy. They had some class up in LA or something together. Brett and I never talked on the phone ever, so I was weirdly happy to talk to someone familiar uh, in that first foreign, altogether lackluster Chicago summer. He sounded totally unsure of what he needed to say. Hey, Dov, it's Brett. Brett, what the fuck up? I have, uh, I have some bad news. At this point, the phone began cutting in and out, so what follows sort of stumbled out on top of itself. I hate to be the one telling you this. What's going on? I asked. Jimmy, what'd you say? He, uh, Brett, hello. Jimmy died. Who? We talked, and after I hung up, I looked at the call log and saw that the conversation only listed a minute and a half. I looked up on the trees on my street, totally arrested. I looked at the trees and the leaves murmured and winked soft little secrets. I saw Jimmy cry once, just once, and what a cry. He called me first. He called me and I could barely make out the words he was saying, something about Sarah, she told me the truth, and love, what happened to what we had, and time, oh, there's just not enough of it, and it was, it was nonsense. I could hear his footfalls in his breath, and I looked out my window to see him shuffle sprinting straight from my door. I ran outside, and he collapsed, collapsed. All six feet ginger poet Adonisness of him right into my arms, his strings cut by this mystery tragedy. My Somalian roommate, who smelled bad, watched frozen and dumbstruck as I took Jimmy's weight onto my own and half carried, half pulled him up the stairs into my room, his wails, his wails, reverberating up the concrete. I can't breathe. I can't see. My mind raced. What happened? What was I going to do to console this force of nature? Once the door closed, he moved at 120 frames a second. On one moment, he was on the floor, pounding his fist against the carpet. In the next, he was standing on my bookshelf, windmilling his arms, shouting and weeping. I sat in awe and heard how Sarah just broke his heart by telling him she didn't want to be with him. I sat in absolute awe of him, just emoting the way he did. And when he calmed down, I told him, how sorry I felt for him, and that I still loved him, and that he was still a good person. He nodded, sniffling, telling me what a good friend I was, and how he loved me too. Then, staring at the perfect snot running down his perfect nose, I took a gamble, and I said, Jimmy, I didn't believe a word of that, any of it. He looked up at me, and I thought, that's it, we're through. And then he smiled. His Jimmy Gaunt, six-foot-tall, ginger poet Adonis smile, and he said, Yeah, I didn't believe it either. <laughs> we both grinned widely. 
Uh, he wiped that perfect nose and took me to this bar downtown. He told me about privilege and art, about basketball and his dad, about how he couldn't help but love and love and love. I had taken this whirlwind of disaster, see right through it and shape it into something real. Watching that Sarah mess in my room made me realize I couldn't be an actor. There was no way I would ever be that close to it, whatever it is. Jimmy Gaunt brushed shoulders with it daily. I listened to him in that London bar, enraptured and enchanted, drunk and intrigued. The cops caught us without bus tickets on the way home. Eventually, I tracked down the number for Dad Gaunt's law practice through the obituary he had put up. Having no clue what the protocol was for talking to parents about their dead kids, I ended up just staring at the phone number for an empty five minutes. Casey Gaunt was a very high-profile lawyer to the stars, who I swear didn't like me because I don't like baseball. <laughs> I looked out my window into the shining sun and green leaves with a phone in my hand, daring myself to do it. Finally, I called, and after a few circuitous transfers between offices, I got a hold of his secretary. Office of Casey Gaunt, she sounded busy. Uh, hi, hi, yeah, um, is Mr. Gaunt in? No, he's taking a leave of absence for the next two weeks. May I take a message? Right, of course, no, 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 I'm actually calling about Jimmy. Oh, she softened. Well, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, awful. The service is gonna be on Saturday at UCST. Do you need the address? I, I froze. That's where I went to school. I can't make it. Sorry to hear that, she said. Would you like to leave a message? Would you like to leave a message for Mr. Gaunt? No. Thank you. Click. Why did I call? Jimmy, Jimmy was the first person with whom I've had a total friendship. That is to say, a beginning, middle, and an end. With all the other friends, I've lost touch. I'm able to, any day I please, just pick up the phone and, re and pick up where we left off. Brett and I did, not so with Jimmy. You know, in all likelihood, had he not walked to his childhood home in San Diego that night after a party and the car hadn't run him over, we might have just dropped off from one another like so many friendships that return from big travels and doings. But now, I stared out the window again into my first Chicago summer. I didn't get it. This was the badass Chicago summer. I'm from California. We invented summer. <laughs> Angie, our movement instructor, had invited us to her village in Devon for three days to work on that movement phrase some more and then film some of it. On day one, she took us on a six-mile hike through some incredibly dense mountainous terrain to her dance studio, tucked in the cleft of two giant boulders. Robin smoked cigarettes the entire way, I took photographs, and Jimmy just smiled. His brilliant Jimmy Gaunt smile. He said things like, ah, and hmm. Every time he saw or thought something pretty, which, which happened a lot. <laughs> Puff, puff, click, click, mmm, ah. Day two, we took a car to the studio where we sprinted up and down sheep hills till we vomited, physically fought one another, cut our faces while we rolled around in brambles. It was a very wax-on, wax-off kind of day. It felt good. It felt really good, especially after those push-ups. And day three was the shoot. <clears throat> Angie took us to these cliffs, 
these massive cliffs, these crags of splintered rock jutting out of the face of the earth like protest, flat and smooth, these stone teeth after a brawl, this impossible architecture. We regarded the rocks and tied our ties. That's where we were going to do headstands. Wow, Robin said, his teeth clamped over his cigarette. Wow, I said. Wow, Jimmy said. Nut up, boys, Angie said, and we were off. She led us up some treacherous terrain and stopped at a nice little boulder perch and pointed to the coast. There were three rocky promontories, platforms arranged neatly and separated from one another by about 30 feet. They towered over 120 feet of open air in the booming ocean below. Angie set up her camera and looked up at us after a moment, her look alone asking what we were still doing on the perch and not each to her own rock. So we went. Jimmy on the first, me on the second, Robin on the third. We could feel the wind ripping at our clothes, and we broke off from one another to walk onto these stones. Mine shook. Theirs did too. The ocean stretched out for forever in front of me, and a quick glance to my right and left told me that Jimmy and Robin are also completely ensorcelled. On some unknown cue, all of us at the same time straightened our arms at our sides, leaned forward, and raised our bodies onto our toes, the wind and a prayer, the only thing from keeping us from tumbling into pounding surf 120 feet below. Then, eyes closed, with the Atlantic roiling in bloody murder for as far as the eye could see, I stretched out my arms to my left and to my right, my whole self straining forward, ready, leaning, my toes keeping miraculous purchase on my ledge, Robin the same, his diver's body going back to what it's known for years, rigid and strong, his face blank and ready, his mind rigid and strong, blank and ready, and Jimmy to my left, Jimmy, his arms reaching out for forever, his whole self embraced, his face at peace, his body serene against the howls of the wind and sea. Jimmy Gaunt, that six-foot-tall ginger poet Adonis, smiling. His brilliant eyes wide open, leaning out over the edge of the world. That was Dov Yendler. If his story gives you ideas for your own second story, we'd love to hear them. Please join us on December 11th and 12th for our ongoing series at Webster's Wine Bar in Logan Square, or on New Year's Eve at the Morseland Cafe in Rogers Park. Second Story Podcast is brought to you by Amanda Delheimer, Megan Steelstra, Bobby Budrisky, Sherry Pentamone, Mikhail Fixel, Ozzy Totten, and Eric Hazen. Second Story is funded in part by the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, City Arts Grants, the Chicago Community Foundation, a part of the Chicago Community Trust, the Arts Works Fund, and listeners just like you. To find out more about Second Story or to make a donation, visit us at secondstory.com. I'm Ozzie Totten, and thanks for listening. <laughs>